Al McNichol, a few weeks ago, sent me an email saying, David, uh, as a church, uh, over the summer, some of the Sunday's speakers have been asked to just throw out a hospitality challenge to the church. And uh, I've been kind of mulling over in my mind what that might be in connection with this message and just what God was putting on my heart. And uh, it actually caused me to think back to the last time I can remember someone in the church here throwing out a hospitality challenge. Now, I have to go back 25 years because for 20 of those, I haven't been here. And it was Steve Thomas, and he threw out a hospitality challenge soon after I arrived in Oxford with my new wife, and we were living near the train station. And a few days after he threw out that challenge, one of the most surreal experiences of our life ever happened. We have quite a few in China, actually, but this was one in Oxford. We were coming home one evening and parking up our bikes in the back of our flat. And Susie said, I think there's somebody in our kitchen. I said, no, you're just imagining it. Don't worry. You stay here by the back door. I'll go around the front, walk in, make sure there's nobody there and let you in. Go to the front door push that door open and facing me in our hallway were two young men with knives in their hands. What would you do? Run? That's what I did. I I turned around and I ran out onto the road. I ran towards the Botley Road. They ran in the opposite direction. But for some reason, I had this flash which said, shout to those guys, tell them to stop because they might have taken something that was irreplaceable, like a a ring or something, and you would be willing to exchange it for money. So I did. I shouted to them and said, Oi, you guys, stop! And they stopped. I said, come back. Come back. I want to talk to you. They came back. We started talking, and we invited them into our home. They sat down, had a cup of tea with us. We found out they were two street guys who lacked anywhere to live anywhere any food clothing money and so we gave them some of our clothing we gave them some of our money we gave them a cup of tea and some biscuits and after about an hour of chatting to them we waved goodbye and let them out the door rather than through the window that they came in and thought we'd leave it there um actually when we spoke to our neighbors they said you do need to tell the police um if they did that to an old lady She might well be dying of a heart attack. And I think they were caught later and uh, probably went inside for a while, I guess. But that was our experience of hospitality having been challenged. So, your challenge is, well, it's not actually to go out and find two burglars and invite them into your home. But it's simply, how about inviting someone into your home who won't be inviting you back into their home? How about inviting them into your home for a cup of tea or for a meal even? Uh, A very scriptural challenge. Uh, But if we're honest, and I'm speaking to myself here, it's not always one we're doing that regularly, if at all. Uh, So there's the challenge I just want to throw out there to you this morning. Great. Okay, well, if you do have a Bible, please turn into Luke chapter 15. We're going to be looking at the parable in Luke chapter 15 that in the NIV is entitled The Parable of the Lost Son. 
Luke chapter 15, beginning of verse 11. Today, we're probably going to be considering the best-known parable Jesus ever told during his earthly ministry, the parable of the lost son. In fact, probably most of you sitting out there know this parable so well that you could probably retell it to the person sitting next to you this morning without a second thought. And that really is the problem. For many of us, our knowledge and our familiarity with this parable has actually resulted in us no longer hearing, let alone being impacted by what the profound message is that Jesus is sharing with his listeners in this parable. In fact, I'm going to say that maybe even as we begin reading together this parable, I'm going to be losing some of you by the second verse. So familiar are we with this parable. But I do want to read it because having been under the uh, influence of Mike Beaumont, reading the word of God in the meetings is of great significance. So I do want to read it from verse 11 through to the end of the chapter. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called out to one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older son became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, 
All these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The opening verses of this chapter, chapter 15, Jesus has already shared two uh, shorter parables about lost things. I think it was a couple of weeks ago, Grace spoke uh, about a lost sheep, which is verses 4 to 7, and a lost coin, verses 8 to 10. And as we begin here in verse 11, Jesus continues with a third parable that I, I guess, for consistency's sake, we often entitle the lost son or the prodigal son. I say that because of the three main characters in this story, the younger son, the older son, and the father, I would say the younger son is not actually the primary focus of the parable. Yes, the younger son's story does appear in the majority of the verses we need to consider. But actually, there's something else going on in this parable. And to really get to the bottom of that, we need to look at the context in which Jesus is sharing this parable. If we go back to the first two verses of chapter 15, we see that Jesus is speaking to two groups of people. Grace explained in detail who those two groups were. I would just like to remind you, in verse 1, we had a group of tax collectors and sinners. And then in verse 2, a group of Pharisees and teachers of the law. And even though Jesus doesn't explicitly state it, it seems reasonable from the context to see that Jesus in this parable, is expecting his listeners to see that the younger son represents the tax collectors and the sinners, and the older son, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And there in verse 3 of the chapter, it seems to be indicating that Jesus is particularly directing the parables and the underlying message of those parables towards the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So maybe a better title for this parable would actually be the parable of the self-righteous older brother. However, I believe there's actually an even more appropriate title to this parable. And that would be the parable of the father with amazing grace. Time and time again, as we read through this parable, we see a loving father extending undeserved grace to not just one son, but to both of his sons. Surely that 
is the most amazing insight Jesus conveys in this parable. And if you take away nothing else from what I'm going to share this morning, take away this truth, that we have a loving heavenly Father who extends undeserved grace towards you and to me. Not just once, not just twice, but time and time again throughout our lives. Maybe if you've never experienced that grace or if you find yourself doubting the magnitude of God's grace towards you, it would be good to simply, in the quietness of your own home, to sit down, reread this parable, meditate on how the father responds to his two sons, and then allow our heavenly father to minister his grace, his amazing grace, afresh into your life. I think that weaves in so well with what Steve brought out this morning from Ephesians. To be filled to overflowing with the love of God. I'd encourage you this morning, if there isn't an overflowing of gratitude uh, for the undeserved grace that we've received from God, then let's draw near to him again and experience afresh that undeserved grace. As you look at this parable, you, you read about a father who stood outside his home day by day, gazing into the distance, hoping and praying for the return of his younger son. On seeing him in the distance, filled with compassion, he runs out to that son, throws his arms around him and kisses him. This is how grace responds to a son who comes to his senses and returns home. Read about a father who then instructs the servants to clothe his son with the best robe, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, while other servants are told to bring the fatted calf, kill it, and to hold a celebration feast. This is how grace responds to a son who humbles himself and confesses his sin. In preparing this during the week, staying with the Stuart and Lynn, I threw out a question to them, which I don't think we really fully answered, because I don't know if there is a, a full answer, but I basically threw out the question to Stuart and Lynn, being such great Bible scholars that they are. How would grace respond if the son had returned home and asked the father for some more money? If anybody's got a great pearl of wisdom to answer that question, please do uh, uh, let me know. It's interesting, actually, Stuart said, with some of the people that we're working with, this is a dilemma we face. How would grace respond if the son came home and said, please, can I have some more money, Dad? I think it'd be true to say that those listening to Jesus telling this parable 2,000 years ago would have been absolutely astounded by how this father responded to his younger son. 
I think we've become too familiar with the parable to be astounded. Um, But just imagine yourself back there, 2,000 years ago, listening to Jesus telling this story. That first group, the tax collectors and the sinners, would have been absolutely amazed and overjoyed at the grace shown by the father towards his younger son. They were the younger son. They were the ones who had turned away from the Lord and lived sinful and immoral lives. They were the ones who felt unworthy of forgiveness, unworthy of love. And here was Jesus telling them that not only did their heavenly father welcome them back, but that he was also fully restoring their relationship with him and actually even throwing in a joyful feast to celebrate their return. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law would have also been astounded, but for very different reasons. They would have been stunned and left speechless. Listening to the parable unfold, they would have expected the younger son on his return to face the wrath of his father. And not only his father, but also the city elders would have poured shame upon him for bringing such dishonor to his father and to his family. That's what they were expecting. But here they hear of of Jesus describing a father forgiving that son and taking away his guilt and his shame and welcoming him back. This wasn't even on their radar. Yet this is what Jesus was saying. I hope you're beginning to appreciate afresh the amazing grace God shows towards us when we humbly return to him, when we confess our sin before him. What do we experience? The amazing grace of God. There are no second class and third class sons in the family of God. The one who comes to Christ from a Christian family, having never been a prodigal son, is as much a child of God as the woman who's lived her life as a prostitute who comes back to God in repentance and faith. We're all saved by grace. We're all unworthy of that grace. And we all continue day by day to stand in that grace. None of us is a second or third class citizen in God's kingdom. But we've only read, really, one half of the story. And we've only considered one aspect of God's grace, that towards the younger son. We now need to also read about how the father responds to the older son. What do we read? Well, we read of a father who on hearing that his older son was outside, not taking part in the feast, 
and that he was out there angry, what does he do? He goes out to him and pleads with him to join in the celebration. I think it's absolutely amazing how Grace responds to this older son. This older son is outraged. This older son is resentful. He actually shows no sign, at this point in the story anyway, of softening in his attitude at all. Yet still, the father goes out and in grace, humbly beseeches his older son to join in the celebrations. That's the Pharisees. That's the Sadducees. And I find it absolutely amazing that with all of the Pharisees' haughtiness, with all of their hostilities towards Jesus and his, his ministry and his teaching, in this parable, Jesus is still offering the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the opportunity to accept the amazing grace of God into their lives. It's there for them as well, which is staggering, I believe. If God's undeserved grace is the most amazing insight Jesus gives us through this parable, then surely the most shocking observations we see concern his two sons. Their failure to understand their status as sons in the father's family. Their failure to understand the father's grace. As we read through this parable, we see on the one hand a father fully expressing kindness and love and grace towards both of his sons. I don't believe it started the moment the first son came back. This was the heart of the father from before his sons were born. And on the other hand, the two sons who not only disrespect and dishonor their father, but it also seems, at least in the case of the older son, they dishonor and don't respect one another either. How, the questions that were going through my mind were how could these two sons have lived in their father's home for so long and not understand their status as sons? How could they not have seen and experienced and taken in the graciousness of their father? How could that younger son have effectively wished his father was dead in order to receive his inheritance now? How is that possible? What made the younger son think that his father would only accept him back as a hired worker, not as a son? How could the older son speak of slaving for years for his own father? Why was that older son so hostile towards his father and younger brother when he returned home? How is that possible given 
that they'd experienced a father so full of grace. Well, we only need to look at churches today. We only need to look, to be honest, in our, into our own hearts, and into our own lives, to realize that simply knowing that we've been adopted into God's family doesn't automatically lead us to thinking and fully living our lives as sons and daughters of God. Simply hearing about God's grace Sunday by Sunday or reading of it in the word of God doesn't automatically lead us to a life-changing understanding and experience and appreciation of God's grace in our lives. Maybe as we've looked afresh at this parable this morning, you've seen something of yourself maybe in either the younger son or the older son, or maybe both. Maybe you've recently come back to God yourself, having walked away from him in the past. But maybe you're still struggling to really accept his forgiveness, his grace in your life. Maybe you see yourself as only a hired worker rather than truly a child of God. Are you thinking that, yes, I have been accepted back into God's family, but I messed up so big that I'm only a second or third class son or daughter in his family. I'm relegated to the sidelines or to the back row. I can no longer play, as it were, in the first team. Do you find, sorry, do you find yourself sometimes slavishly trying to earn the approval of God like the older son rather than resting in his grace? And again, like the older son, do you find yourself sometimes becoming resentful when God blesses others when you feel he actually should be blessing you because you've been faithful? You've not been that son that's walked away. And if you can in any way identify yourself with either of those two sons this morning, then can I encourage you to spend some time again in God's presence, meditating maybe on this particular parable, and just again listen afresh to the voice of God's Spirit speaking to you through his word. Let him speak to you afresh about his amazing, undeserved grace. Let him speak to you about being a fully loved and accepted child of God. That's who you are. That's who he is. Allow the word and the spirit to speak deep into your whole being, into your mind, into your heart, into your soul and spirit. And for there to be a transformation in our lives. I'm going to close with just a simple prayer. And then I'll hand back to you, Steve. It's only a few lines long. 
Lord, as I wait on you, help me to see the beauty of your grace. Help me to smell the fragrance of your grace. Help me to hear the melody of your grace. And help me to taste the sweetness of your grace afresh in my life. Amen.